If you've been here, you've been following along online, you know that, that we're skipping ahead uh, several chapters. This is our biggest jump so far in this study. And we've been studying through creation, the themes of the Bible. We did creation, we did the creation of man, created in God's image, and we did the fall. And now we're skipping ahead to chapter 12, and we're skipping over some pretty important things, or some pretty big things, like the story of Cain and Abel, for instance. We're skipping that. Or even larger yet, we're skipping the story of the flood and of Noah and all these things. And just remember that this study isn't about every story in the Bible. It's about the major themes of the Bible. And really, if you wanted to just take, if you're a note taker or in your Bible, you wanted to make a note, really you could kind of sum up Genesis 4 through 11 by just saying it's a record of man's wickedness. That's really what it is. We have the fall in Genesis 3, and then we have God's curse after the fall, and then we have immediately afterward the murder of a brother by, by, within the family, the story of Cain and Abel, and then the ensuing stories of God essentially judging the earth with the flood and, and destroying mankind. I mean, it's just a wicked, wicked place right away. And it's something there that I think that we should notice about the, the true nature of sin and how devastating it really is. That it didn't take millennia for sin to get out of hand. It got out of hand immediately. Just, just like that, it got out of hand. Sin is a, is a really, really big deal. It's not something that we should minimize. So we're skipping all of that, and we're coming tonight to talk about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I know that excites you and gets your juices flowing, and everybody's just excited to hear that that's what we're talking about. But, but really, this is an important thing for us to understand and to know about. You know, Abraham really is an important figure, historical figure and a figure in World religions, and I just want to briefly, and I'm, you probably know this, but I just want to briefly touch on the, the fact that Abraham's important to more people than just us, obviously, as Christians. Uh, in fact, we would say that Abraham's important to the three big religions Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All of us find our roots in Abraham. You know, for us as Christians, uh, we find our roots in Abraham and Sarah and the birth of the nation of Israel. And then for us as Christians, we would say that, that we are a continuation of that heritage, that we come out of that. The first Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. We come out of that whole lineage. And then, of course, behind that is Judaism, still holding to that. Abraham is their father and that Abrahamic faith. And then we'll see a little bit later. I'm not going to get into it in depth, but... Uh, I think we'll at least touch on it, that Abraham, when he's promised descendants, instead of doing it God's way, he takes a shortcut to get the descendant that he thought that he was promised, and that produced Ishmael, which we know or we recognize as, or at least Islam recognizes as their descendant out of Abraham. And interestingly enough, the prophecies concerning Ishmael in the Bible teach us that he'd be basically at war with everybody all the time. So, so Abraham's important to us. And what's happening here is important to our understanding of our faith. How many of you are watching a movie? And this happens to me all the time. Or I'll come in the house from doing something, and Denise and the girls will be watching some movie, and I'll come in and I'll join in halfway in or a third of the way in or two-thirds of the way in, and I'll sit down, and I'm easily entertained, so I'll just sit there and... I'll dive right into it, and 
And I probably bugged Denise with questions about who is that and why is that happening and what is that. And when you try to watch a movie without the beginning, you struggle. I mean, you could be entertained by it and you can, you can get some pleasure out of it and it can mean something to you. But you don't really fully understand it unless you started at the beginning. And that's what it's like for us really with our faith and especially with our understanding of Abraham. Is that without understanding him and understanding the covenant that God made with him, then we're just sort of watching the movie from the middle. And we might get some, some good out of it and some uh, understanding out of it, but we're not going to really get all that we could get out of it without understanding Abraham. He's important to us and to our faith and our understanding of our Christianity. Let me give you a couple of significant examples of Abraham's appearance in the New Testament and his importance to us in the New Testament. They're both in Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there real quick. But hold your place in Genesis chapter 12. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we have the announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary. And then we also have, of course, uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias and the coming of John the Baptist. And we have these couple of instances that are important for us and, and teach us something about the importance of Abraham. For instance, we have when, the, when Mary's visited by the angel and the birth of Jesus is announced, eventually she goes and, and visits her cousin and she's overcome by this need to praise God and she sings the song, we call it the Magnificat, and we know it and we know lots of it. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 54 and 55, she says this as part of her song. She says, He, as God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, what I'm trying to point you towards here is the significance that when Mary heard that the Messiah was coming, that it was inevitable, that it was going to happen, and that she was a part of it. Her response to that was to say that because this is happening, we can say that God has remembered us in the way that He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. She calls Abraham to mind when she thinks of the Messiah coming. And then Zacharias, also in his prophecy in Luke chapter 1, verse 68 through 73, where he's giving a similar sort of, of a statement of praise where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now get this, saying that, that the time of redemption has come. Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. And he's saying he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. So Zacharias does the same thing. He, he thinks of the, the coming of the Messiah in the context of the promise that was made to Abraham 2,000 years prior. Abraham was important to them. And we touched on this a couple of times over the previous weeks about how sometimes as Christians, we understand our faith uh, sort of as a new covenant people. We think of ourselves that way. And, and sometimes we think of ourselves as 
uh, our faith beginning with Jesus and moving forward from there. And there's some background information in the Old Testament, but really we begin with Jesus. And I want to say that, again, we, we can't do that. Because even at the beginning of Matthew, if we looked at Matthew, you don't have to look there if you don't want, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the beginning of the book of Matthew, and this is a gospel written primarily to Jewish people, to Hebrew people, and he begins this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he begins the genealogy. Where? Abraham's the first person in the genealogy that Matthew gives us for Jesus. So it begins this record of Jesus arriving. Mary calls to mind the covenant with Abraham. Zacharias calls to mind the covenant with Abraham. Matthew says it begins with Abraham, the first person listed. So this study of the Abrahamic covenant and what God promised to Abraham is vitally important for our understanding of the Bible and of our faith and of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I say all that to to try to hold on to you for the next 15 minutes. Because I know this isn't like, doesn't feel like the most practical thing in the world. But this is so important. So look with me at Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1. And here we're introduced to Abram. He's not yet called Abraham. Here he's Abram, same guy. And just remember the context now. Creation, creation of man, the fall of man, the wickedness of man. And now we have God executing his plan for redemption. We're beginning to see it visibly take place in front of us. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's just stop right there. Because what we have here in the introduction to Abram is really the the, the makings of the covenant between God and Abraham. And that covenant isn't ratified until chapter 15, but for the sake of our time tonight, we won't go through all of it. But here we have all the elements that they would later ratify together, this covenant. We know what a covenant is. I think that's a big question when we talk in theological terms of how we define covenants. But basically, a covenant is just a contract between two people. It's an agreement between two people. And in this case, it's an agreement between one who's much greater than the other. And it's it's based upon the promises of the one who's in authority and not based upon Abraham and who he is. It's based all or wholly almost on the promises of God contained in these verses. I'd encourage you to go read Genesis 15 tonight uh, and get familiar with God ratifying that, that covenant where he does it there. But, but for the sake of tonight, I just want to show you the promises that the covenant is built on. These are really important, especially... To your understanding, as you read the Old Testament and you get bogged down there and you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? And what in the world does this have to do with a 21st century Christian and a 21st century church? I want you to remember these promises that God built his covenant on with his people. And the first promise that we see is the promise of land. So look in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's calling them to go to land. And then if we follow that down into verse 5, after he went, it says, And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came, came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land a place at Shechem to the oak of, Mor- of, of Morah. And at the time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So the very first thing that he promised to Abram was land. And the, the land promise is a big deal in the Old Testament. Like you see it all through the Old Testament. I mean, just think of uh, Israel. They get into the, to the land initially, and then eventually they, they end up in Egypt through circumstances surrounding Joseph and his brothers and the plague and the sovereignty and providence of God. And there they are rescued in Egypt, and they're living in Goshen, and things are good, and Pharaoh loves them. And, and eventually another Pharaoh comes along who doesn't care for them, and he enslaves them, and then they're, uh, they're in bondage for 400 years, and then God sends Moses to come and set his people free. And when God meets with Moses the first time, he remember, or he says that he's going to take his people and, and, and return them to the land that he promised. And then we have them in the Exodus going back on their way to the land that God had promised them, and subsequently they spend 40 years wandering around until they're all dead because they wouldn't possess the land. But then eventually we see Joshua moving into the land and the history of the people uh, acquiring the land. I mean, it's all through the Old Testament. And then the people being exiled from the land and returning to the land. It's a big theme in the Old Testament. And, And you'll miss a lot of the importance of what's going on in the Old Testament if you don't realize that Israel's consciousness was bound up in this promise of land. They were supposed to live in a certain place, a place that God had given them. And this is the the first thing. And even today, even today, Israel's consciousness is bound to the land that God promised them. There's a great debate today about who it belongs to. And so it's it's a big deal. And the second promise here in Genesis 12 is the promise of descendants. If you look in verse 2, he says, And I will make of you... A great nation. I'll make of you a great nation. And in fact, turn over to chapter 15 just for a moment because here God expands on what he means by that. But if you look at chapter 15 in Genesis, verse 1 through 6, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. A member of my household will will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. So he promises promises Abram all these descendants. And really, as we walk through the Old Testament, from this point forward, what we're dealing with is a history of the descendants of Abraham. 
All of it. They're all the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. We see the people of Israel in the time of Jesus identifying themselves with Abraham. They're saying that our father is who? Abraham. These are the descendants of Abraham. And so, and we'll see in a minute why that matters for all of us. But then also the third promise that we see here in these verses is the promise of blessing. The promise of blessing. So he's, he's promised him land. He's promised him descendants. And he's given them this promise that he would bless and that he would be a blessing. So look at verse 2 and 3 again. He says, And I will make you a great nation. And I'll bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we have this promise of blessing. And, and that eventually all the families or all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And that ultimate blessing would come, as we see... In Luke chapter 1, what we read earlier, it would arrive in Jesus Christ. So God's setting something in motion here. And so when we read the, uh, and look at our Bibles and we read through the Old Testament, we're not just reading stories about an ancient people that we can't identify with. We're reading and witnessing the drama. And think of it this way. When you read through the Old Testament from this point forward and all the things that Israel's doing and all the high points and all the low points and all the blessing and all the judgment and all the things that happened to them, it's not just a bunch of people back then. We're witnessing the drama of redemption as God's working through His special people to bring about a blessing to the whole world. That puts it in a little bit different context, I think. When we understand that we're witnessing this this unfolding drama and that ultimately it's our history. It's our history. This is our heritage, the people that we've become. And I want to show you just a couple of uh, things that I hope will will make this a little bit more meaningful to you. And this is like a really surface level of the Abrahamic covenant. But I want you to know it all starts with Abram. He calls, up, he calls a man, makes a covenant with him that he was going to form a people and that eventually all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. Israel becomes the vehicle for the redemption of the world. But I want to show you a couple of things that, that hopefully will bring this home to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. You can turn there with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. Seven, eight, nine. And here we have a Paul talking to the Galatians about their departure from justification by faith and their returning to works and all these things. He makes this interesting statement, this really important statement in Galatians chapter three, verse seven. He says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And he says in the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And and the, the, the 
thing that I have underlined in my Bible is in verse 8 where it says that God is preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now think about that. It says that in that first statement in Genesis chapter 12 when God meets Abram and calls Abram and gives him the promise of land and the promise of descendants and the promise of a blessing, Paul unpacks that for us in Galatians and said God was preaching the gospel through Abraham. And so when we think of Abraham's story, we need to think of it as part of the gospel story. Does that make sense to you? Like, think of it this way. I had a guy call me the other day, a young man called me the other day from the Dominican Republic. He's one of our Antigua kids who's now living in the Dominican Republic. And he called me and, and he was saying, Pastor Brian, I need your prayers. I need your advice. And he's frustrated with the way things are going for him. And and he feels like he's not able to get ahead in life, and he's still studying in university, and he's got all these big plans. He wants to be an international real estate investor. and I mean, he's got big plans. And he's basically saying, I'm trying to do some things, and I keep failing at everything I do, and I don't want to just work meaningless jobs, and I don't want to just get by. I want to do these big things. And I said to him, his name's Pablo, and I said, Pablo... So you've got to understand that every little thing you do, if it's helping you get to the big thing, is a big thing. There's no little things. If, if the little things are, are helping you step towards the big thing you want, then stop seeing them as little things and start seeing them as part of the big thing. And he said, oh, it was like a light bulb moment for him. He said, I never thought of it like that. And that's what, when we look at the Old Testament and the things that are happening there, we need to be able to see them as part of the big thing. That the call of Abram is the, is the call uh, of Abram into the gospel story. God's preaching the gospel to him. This is the, the gospel showing up in Genesis chapter 12 and the promises of God. And then here's some points of application for us. Abraham's story is the first picture of saving faith that we see in the Bible. The first explicit picture of saving faith. In fact, if you look at it in Genesis chapter 15, if you haven't left that behind too much, your Bible's a good workout, flipping back and forth. It's good for them. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, we read this, and I stopped short. And he says, and he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And what does verse 6 say? And he believed the Lord. And what happened? And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. He had faith. And Paul goes on to argue in the New Testament that this is the evidence that justification's always been by faith. Because Abraham was the first one. And how was Abraham justified? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham's the first picture of saving faith. And this is important. There's some good practical application for us here. For instance, Abram believed God's promise of the land that, that God told him he would possess, even though he never truly got to possess it. He passed through, he saw it with his own eyes, but he never got to have it. He, he believed God in the beginning, though he hadn't seen it. I mean, isn't that what faith is? Hoping in things we haven't seen. And so he's demonstrating faith and, and saving faith. Saving faith. He believed the promises 
of God for a descendant, even in the face of extreme testing. Extreme testing. Like, has there ever been an example anywhere else in the Bible of such an extreme test as when Abram's told to take Isaac up on the mountain and kill him? I've preached on that passage over the past 15 years several times. And today was the first time that I really think I felt the weight of it. And I think it's because I tried to think of it in the context of Owen. And what it would have been like for Abram to walk up to that mountain that day with his son, answering his questions, thinking that when we get to the top, I'm going to have to plunge this knife into my son's chest. The son of promise, the son I've wanted for so long, and kill him. Can you imagine the agony of that? The agony of what that would have felt like for him. Even though the book of Hebrews says he believed God would raise him from the dead, that wouldn't have mattered to me. It still would have been horrible. So, so he believes that, that God's going to make a great nation out of him. He'll have descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the, the sand on the seashore. But he does that even in the face of extreme testing. And he believes God's promise of blessing even though he would never live to see it. He never saw it. Believed it. And so Abraham really is a picture of saving faith. What does it look like to have saving faith? Believing in something even though we can't see it. Believing in something even though we can't touch it. Believing in something even in the face of extreme testing and, and things that are outside of our desires. And so Abraham teaches us about those things. And also God's covenant with Abraham is a reminder of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Think of this. This has really good application for us right now today. Think of where we began earlier when we went to Luke chapter 1. And we have uh, Mary responding to the news that the Messiah has arrived. And she responds by remembering the covenant God made with Abraham. We have Zacharias looking back at the covenant of Abraham and tying it to the arrival of the Messiah. And I want you to know that the time period between the promises to Abram and the arrival of Jesus was about 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And we find ourselves living right now in a time period from which Christ ascended into heaven and the angels promised He would return visibly the same way that he went up into heaven, he would return and, and, the, and, and he would come back for his people. He would return for his people. We have about the same amount of time between Abram and Mary, now between Mary and us. And I wonder how many people look at the world around them and then look at the scriptures and all the wonderful things that happen in the scriptures and we think to ourselves, oh, will it ever happen? Will it has God forgotten us? Has God abandoned us? And don't you think that people would have thought that in Mary's day? I think people think it now. But thinking about the covenant God made with Abraham helps us to remember that God is faithful. He never, ever, ever breaks His promises. He always comes through on the things that He's promised to do. And so we have... Good, practical application for our lives today. So moving forward from this point, everything's going to play out. Everything in the, in the Scriptures 
is going to play out in light of and in the context of the promise that God made to one man, one pagan man, who God sovereignly called out of that nation of a whole bunch of unknown pagans. Everything from this point forward is going to play out because of the promises God made to that one man.